Hello, friends, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. My name is Caleb Mason, and I am so grateful that you have decided to spend part of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. Today, I am honored to be joined by Laura Vanderkam to talk with her about her brand new book called Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. Now, if this happens to be your first time listening to the podcast, I do want to tell you about a couple of things that inform pretty much everything that we do here on the podcast. The first one is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations because you know, and I know that there are just some conversations that it's probably just better to, or you, I shouldn't say, uh, it's probably better to, but there's just some conversations that you just know that they're just not going to go very well. And so maybe you're afraid to talk about certain subjects with people because you tried before and it didn't go very well. And the person who who you were wanting to have a dialogue with just didn't respond very well. Well, here we want to engage in those types of conversations in a very respectful and honoring way, even whenever we disagree. Another thing is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them. And that sometimes we learn from their failure and sometimes we learn from their success and how they handled things well. We believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, regardless of whether that's something serious or something trivial. And we want to become the person who was there for us or the person who maybe we wish was there for us. And we want to be, we want to be there for the people who matter most to us. And that's what we're going to get into today through talking about time management and energy management and priorities and and scheduling and, and all of the things that help us to show up as our best selves for the people that matter most to us. And so that's a lot of what our conversation, that's pretty much all that we're going to talk about today with Laura. I do want to let you know that if you enjoyed this episode, there's two things that you do. One, we have talked with Laura before on the podcast, so we'll link to that episode in the show notes. And the second thing is this, if you are constantly looking for new things to learn from and maybe new people to learn from, or you're always looking for book recommendations or podcasts or whatever, head over to my newsletter, which will be in the show notes, and you can subscribe to that where I give some of the best things that I'm learning from and some of the things that I'm learning about, give you a bunch of links to books, to articles, to podcasts, to videos, to documentaries, to literally just all of the stuff that I am currently thinking about and learning about. So if you enjoy listening to the podcast, subscribe to the newsletter and you will continue to, uh, to get great content to learn from. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Laura and then we will dive right into my conversation with her. Laura Vanderkam is the author of several time management and productivity books, including The New Corner Office, Juliet's School of Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. Her work has appeared in publications including The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and Fortune. She is the host of the Before Breakfast podcast and the co-host with Sarah Hart Unger of the Best of Both Worlds podcast, and her most recent book is Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. And without any further wait, here is my conversation with Laura Vanderkam.
Well, Laura, it's so good to have you back on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thank you so much for having me back. I appreciate it. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, one of the things that I um, would love to ask you about is I know that you've been learning a lot about time management over the years and just productivity and all of that stuff. I would love to hear, like going back to, you know, whenever you first started learning about this, what have you changed your mind about as it pertains to productivity, time management, all of that stuff? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. I uh, have probably been trying to follow some of the same rules as, as much as possible. Um, but, you know, I have probably started working slightly less outside of normal hours. And I know that that's kind of everyone's work hours are all over the map these days with uh, remote work and things like that. Um, when I had very little kids and sort of different childcare arrangements, I would often try to end the workday relatively early in work after they went to bed. But especially as my kids get older, that part is just not there anymore. Uh, so I, you know, try to be as focused as possible during the workday and, and, uh, you know, you don't have to work the, the second shift at night, uh, if, if you don't have to on any given day. So, um, probably changed a little bit about that. Yeah. What's been the biggest shift for you over the years that has just helped you in terms of your productivity? Um, well, one of the tips that I always give people that's been sort of most impactful for me is planning your weeks on Fridays. I am really a Friday planning evangelist. Um, and I mean, plan your work week. I mean, plan your personal life, everything. You're one person. So you need to look at the entire week holistically. Um, I do this on Fridays. For a couple of reasons. I mean, it's just a good time. Most people aren't doing anything else on Friday afternoons, kind of sliding into the weekend. So it's a good time for planning the upcoming week. But I find when you spend just, you know, 20, 30 minutes thinking about what needs to happen in the upcoming week, what would you like to see happen in the upcoming week? And where are there any trouble spots that you might need to solve problems, but problems that could be solved if you see these a couple of days away? Um, life can hold a lot of moving parts and yet still work really well. I feel whenever you find somebody whose life resembles like a three ring circus, and I don't mean chaotic by a circus. I mean, in a circus, everything is going where it's supposed to go, right? At exactly mm -hmm. the right time. That that person's planning game is, is probably pretty strong. Mm. So talk to me about what that, what does that planning period like look like for you? Like, do you like, yeah, just walk me through that. Yeah. So at some point on Friday, um, I open the planner page for the next week. I have a weekly planner page and I write down on the left side, whatever my work priorities are for the upcoming week. Like what do I need and want to accomplish in the upcoming week um, to make steps toward whatever big goals I happen to have on the right side of the column. I then list various personal things that I need to do. If there are things that um, are coming up for a particular kid that are important that they, you know, we really want to make sure that I know is a priority that would go there or anything that's for me personally, um, anything related to my volunteer work or my hobbies or things like that. Um, so just as an example, you know, this week I am um, taking one kid to an amusement park as just something special we're doing together. And so that wound up as something on the list and um, taking two children to a tour of their newly opened school. They're starting at a new school that has uh, just opened the building. And so they can go on tour at a day. So that's, you know, put there as a priority. It's not just, you know, something that's going to happen. It's a priority for the week. Something we want to notice is happening. Uh, but I find if you do this, you know, and write those down, 
make sure it's noted when these things need to happen. And then those are my marching orders for the week. Every day I'm looking at that list. Like, what am I going to pull off that list to do today? Um, you know, the next day, what am I going to pull off this list to do today? And usually, um, I mean, almost always I get through all of it by the end of the week. That's the goal. Um, that's what a to-do list is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So do you like put that stuff on your calendar then, or is it just like a to-do list? What, what does yeah, that it's sort of on the calendar. So, I mean, those are, those are just listed out priorities. They're not necessarily a time and date with them, but mm -hmm. then I transfer them. Uh, there's actually a calendar on the left side of the planner page. Um, and I, anything that is specific to a date could go over on that date. Um, I also have a calendar that's more time bound where I put things that are like appointments um, on there um, and might make a note of it on the planner too. But uh, you know, the, the tool of planning itself doesn't really matter. And people sometimes say, well, what's the right planner to use? I mean, the right one is one that you use. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it could be just a notebook. I mean, but it could be electronic. I mean, it could be one of those high end, wonderful ones that you use crazy pins and washi tape and all this other stuff. I mean, it, the tool itself doesn't matter. What matters is that you have some designated time in your life where you sit down and think about what is important to you over the next week. Um, and as long as you keep doing that and keep translating those desires of the things that you want to happen into, you know, these are the times that they're going to happen. I think you can make a lot of progress. Mm -hmm. So do you like in that time or is it a separate time to where you look at like a couple of weeks ahead or like a month or two ahead? What does that look like? Yeah. So I mostly focus on the upcoming week just because that's usually where you can solve problems. Um, yeah. You know, many things that are happening two to three weeks out, it is harder to know what the landscape is going to look like. And so if there is a problem, you will probably need to solve it closer to that actual time. Um, but if there's anything huge, obviously you want to know that it's coming up so you can make preparations for it. You know, if you discover that, you know, you have young kids and both you and your spouse are going to be out of town on the same day on different business trips, probably you want to know that a week or two ahead, at least, you know, more than a few days ahead of time. So you can make sure that that's covered. Um, or, you know, if there's some big goal you've got coming up, if you are planning on running a marathon, you might like to know of that ex existence, you know, yeah. a couple of weeks that at least, you know, you could work toward that. Um, you know, but or if you've got an extremely busy week coming up in two weeks, maybe there are things that you can pull into this week that you would normally do that week um, in order to uh, make it a little bit easier. But, you know, you can just take a few minutes to glance through that. Um, I try not to do too much ahead of time because, yeah. you know, you'll be doing this again in another week. <laughs> like you will be thinking about that week in another week. And, and so that week's time is coming up. Mm. My tendency, like whenever I'm scheduling stuff out is like, I tend to schedule like too much. Like I overestimate what I can do in a week. What are the signs for you that, um, that help you like determine, okay, I think I have a, like a pretty good amount or I am expecting myself to do way too much. In yeah. This well, week. if I, if I'm making the list of the things that I intend to do in the week and it's like going all the way down the planner page, like that's a problem. Yeah. Um, because it clearly is not going to all fit. Um, you know, it, usually, it needs to be about half the page. <laughs> and mm -hmm. then if it's, if it's less than that, then it's going to fit. Or even on my um, calendar, I keep a printed calendar for my time specific appointments. And if I can see that I'm writing stuff like into the corners, um, because it doesn't all fit on the lines of the hours, then that's clearly a sign that I've probably got too much and need to, you know, scale it back or move some things around. Um, but I think, you know, time estimation is a skill that we can all get better at over time. And one of the upsides of doing a designated planning time every week is that you can take a moment to reflect back on the previous week as well. Mm -hmm. And if you find that you are moving a lot of things forward, 
Like ideally you don't want to have to move anything forward from the previous week that you said would be done by the end of the previous week. If you are constantly moving things forward, then that's a pretty good sign that you are overestimating what you can get to um, because otherwise it would have found a spot in the, in the previous week and not need to borrow time from the next week. Mm. Yeah. And it even just gets me thinking of like, that changes our expectations. Then if we're constantly moving stuff uh forward and, and the planning periods go better too yeah I yeah imagine. yeah no it's a skill like anything else people get better at it over time um and i try to teach people how to how to do it you know how to think about what is important to them then think about what else is happening um and then think about problems that you might be able to solve hmm. yeah is there anything else just in like that planning that calendar stage that you would just say that people like don't take the time to think about, or we maybe forget to think about during Well, that time. I think you th should think about what you are actually looking forward to. Um, a lot of planning tends to focus on what people have to do. And mm -hmm. there is a reason for that. Obviously, you have to do it. So um, that's why we do it. But uh, that can make people feel a little bit of resistance to doing this whole planning exercise. Whereas if you are trying to put in for instance, like relationship or personal priorities, those are often things you truly do want to do, right? Like mm -hmm. that would be getting together with a friend that would be, you know, taking a bike ride somewhere new. Um, so when you have that element of planning that's focused on things you would really look forward to, then um, the whole experience becomes much more enjoyable. And is that something like you try to incorporate like something you're looking forward to in each week? Is it multiple times a week? What? Yeah. Well, if I don't have anything, that's a problem. Like if yeah. I'm planning the week and I'm like, wait, this is all just stuff I have to do. I, then I will pause and like, well, where can I put in something fun? Like what would I be genuinely looking forward to and where can that go? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about is I know that there's a lot of, you know, advice on time management, productivity. What is some of the stuff that you hear that just makes you cringe? Cause you're like it, like that sounds good, but that actually doesn't work or that yeah. doesn't work as well as maybe we hope that it does. Well, we are recording this um, during back to school season. Um, and uh, I, every year there are articles, there are videos there are talking about all the things people should be doing either the night before or on, you know, the night before to prepare for the morning to come or on Sunday to prepare for the week ahead. And that kind of, it hurts my soul <laughs> to hear <laughs> about how people will be giving up hours of potential leisure time or family time to deal with the upcoming day. And I think the assumption is that, well, if I do enough ahead of time, then the next day will run completely smoothly. Maybe it will, but it might not too. Even if you have put, you know, three lasagnas in the fridge for the week, like it, it could still have issues in the week. Things could still come up. You know, maybe you don't even use that lasagna because somebody has something else happen in the evening that, you know, you have to deal with. Um, in general, I tell people to try to pare things down or make things simple and routine enough that they don't have to spend hours preparing for the day ahead or preparing for the week ahead. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, if you're cooking on Saturday or Sunday, making enough for leftovers and having them during the week, that's great. But don't make something separate to then freeze and have later. That's just making yourself extra work. Um, you know, make simple suppers instead of like, pay, you know, cooking something on Sunday and bringing it out on Thursday to eat, just cook something really, really simple on Thursday, you know, grilled mm -hmm. cheese and a salad, that's dinner. Um, so it, it really doesn't have to be that crazy. And at night, it really, it's a sort of pains me if people spend, you know, incredible amount of time, like choosing children's outfits and packing lunch and getting shoes lined up and backpacks on. And one, if your kids aren't four, they should be doing that stuff for themselves. 
<laughs> like, you know, yeah. if they're if they're older than, you know, early elementary school, they can be responsible for for pretty much all of that themselves that you should not be doing that. And second, staying up too late, trying to get things in ready for the next morning almost guarantees that the next morning will be miserable because you're going to be sleep deprived. Like it's so much better to just go to bed because then you'll have energy in the morning and, and all of this stuff will take less time anyway. Yeah. Can you talk about the piece of sleep and why like sleep is definitely like an underrated thing or like not as appreciated aspect. Can you talk about that and like the role that it plays? Yeah. I mean, I, I love sleep. Um, I, I would hope sleep loves me back. Sometimes yeah. it loves me back better than others. <laughs> uh, we, we're working on our relationship, but yeah. uh, you know, it's, it, everyone needs to sleep. Most adults need seven to eight hours a day. Um, you can try to convince yourself that you need some other amount but you're probably wrong. Um, there are very, very few people who need fewer than six and a half hours per night. Um, and, and even very successful people. I mean, there've been time diary studies of CEOs, for instance, that find that they're averaging about seven hours a day of sleep. Um, when you look at the whole week, we are somewhat obsessed in our culture with the stories of, you know, random entrepreneur who sleeps four hours a night. And like, we should all learn about from them. And it's like, well, you know, Maybe they have some weird freak genetic thing where they sleep four hours a night or else they sleep four hours on Monday and Tuesday and then they're crashing the rest of the week to make up for it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but most of us are better off getting the same amount of sleep every night. Uh, and if you can set yourself a bedtime, one of my core time management rules is to yeah. give yourself a bedtime. Um, then you can start getting the same amount of sleep every night because most adults can't really change what time they wake up in the morning um, very much. You have various work responsibilities, family responsibilities. You get up at a certain time for that. So the only variable that can move is when you go to bed the night before. But if you choose a time that allows you to get your seven to eight hours of sleep per night, you will be in a much better position. Yeah. Can you talk about that power of choosing like the same time each month or each night? And you hit on a little bit, but can you just expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Well, because we have a very strong sleep set points. Like most people who are not chronic insomniacs, which is a separate medical issue. But if you are a sort of normal sleep person, um, your body needs a certain amount. And one way or another, it's going to try to get you there. And so if you skimp one night, you will make it up somewhere else. You will sleep through your alarm. You will hit snooze four times. You will sleep in on weekends. You will take naps on the couch. You will fall asleep, you know, while watching TV at night, one way or another, your body is going to force you to get to your sleep set point. So if your sleep set point is six is seven and a half hours and you sleep six and a half for two nights in a row at the beginning of the week, you're going to find two hours somewhere else. The question is just where it happens. And if it happens at some place that you want it to happen or someplace where you don't want it to happen. And many times it's places where people don't want it to happen. So they sleep too late in the morning, so they didn't get to whatever they wanted to do. They're feeling tired in meetings. They catch a quick cat nap while they're putting their kids to bed. And then it's just like, you know, everything's all off. Whereas if you get the amount you need every night, then you're not walking around with a chronic sleep debt. Um, it allows you to control your time better. You can, for instance, use weekend mornings. There's this whole time on weekend mornings. Um, you know, I have young kids, so I don't get to sleep in on weekend mornings anyway. But for people who don't, you might be like, oh, that's a time to sleep in. But it could be or it could be a time to focus on personal priorities. For instance, if you need seven and a half hours of sleep and you don't have a sleep debt on the weekend and you go to bed at 11 o'clock on Friday night, you will, in fact, wake up at 630 on Saturday morning. The day is yours. You know, yeah. you've got all this time to do whatever you want with it. 
Um, so, so I think there's that it's, it's great not to feel either sleep deprived or like you have caught up the sleep in a way that, that doesn't work with your life. But beyond that, giving yourself a bedtime gives shape to the day. Like most people know that the day has a beginning. We're a little bit fuzzier on the notion that each day has an end, but it does have an end. Like at some point it has to stop. And mm -hmm. when you know what your bedtime is, then you can say that is the end of the day. And then you can start to make more mindful choices of exactly what can fit in, let's say that 16 and a half waking hours that you are going to experience in the course of the day. Hmm. Yeah. And that even makes me think of like another idea that you talk about in your latest book, Tranquility by Tuesday, is the wind down as well towards the end of the day. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So it, you know, you can say, all right, my bedtime is 11 p.m. But if you're just saying, okay, I'm noticing that right at 11 p.m., it's kind of hard to immediately fall yeah. asleep at 11 p.m. If you are just then, you know, still in your clothes, teeth aren't brushed, wearing your contacts, whatever else it is, but the, you know, have to go lock the doors, whatever things people have to do at the end of the day. So set an alarm for some amount of time before your bedtime. You know, probably most people need at least 30 minutes to do whatever they have to do, brush their teeth get into bed, maybe read for a few minutes and then turn off the light. If you want more time to read in bed, for instance, then set it for an hour before that and then start winding down then. But the goal is that you can have the lights off at your bedtime without mm -hmm. having to do all this stuff to, that's going to guarantee that you miss your bedtime if, if you, you don't do that. Hmm. Yeah. Is there um, any, any common activities that you've seen like help in that wind down process? Well, many people like to read. I mean, that's a that's a good time. Um, you know, you can connect with your partner. You can, um, you know, meditate. Any anything that's sort of gentle uh, to the brain. It's not going to start stimulating you like, uh, you know, watching action movies yeah. or, or any, probably any screens. Screens too, in general, I yeah. I mean, yeah. and a lot of people read electronically, and I get that. Um, you know, if you use like a Kindle, the light isn't bad necessarily mm -hmm. for you, and it's 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 fine. But uh, a lot of people really like to read in an analog fashion right before bed, um, just as a way to wind themselves down. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it's really it helps to sort of ease the process and, and it can even think of it as being like a treat you know that you've got this time I really love when everything is done and it's like 10 o'clock and I'm like I don't have to turn out the light for an hour <laughs> I get an hour I can just sit here and read whatever I want to yeah. relax and, and try and really enjoy that and be aware of that hour existing yeah uh, another thing and uh, I don't remember you touching it too much on in this book but I know that you've talked about it before um, can you talk about the start of the day as, as well of like what are some of the common things that you've seen that help people like get started off like that's one of the things that like i'm trying to get better at right now is like okay how do i how do i wake up faster and i know that part of it is tied to sleep is <laughs> sleep as well but um what have you just noticed that helps us just get going quicker throughout the day or help us start off better yeah i mean there's no good morning routine if you're sleep deprived basically yeah. you have to be if you are getting the right amount of sleep then you can start building your morning routine um so so focus on the sleep first but once you do that it might be helpful to have something you do in the morning that makes you excited to get out of bed um hmm. for many people who are like in the really busy years who are maybe building a career raising a family doing both um it, it's not going to be really feasible to do these like long 
intense morning routine. You, you know, we it's the same thing. Like we read those stories of the entrepreneur has four hours of sleep a night. It's going to be the story of somebody who's, you know, running 10 miles and drinking kale juice and meditating for 30 minutes and then writing, you know, for 4,000 words in their novel. I don't know. Most people are not going to be able to manage that most mornings, but you can do little bite-sized things. So are there little like five to 10 minute chunks of things that you could do repeatedly multiple times per week that would advance you toward your goals? So just as a, a you know, something I'm doing, mm-hmm. I, I read a couple minutes of Shakespeare every morning with the goal of reading through his collected works over the course of 2022. So I have a calendar that I'm reading through all 37 plays. And, you know, I, I really only have to read three to four pages a day um, if I'm reading all 365 days. It only takes me 10, 15 minutes. Um, so that's something I can do. I also don't do it necessarily at the exact same time every day. I think if people, again, if your life is very busy, if you have responsibilities for other people, like it's hard to be very rigid about time. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just not going to work to say, I have to do my morning routine from six to six 30. If your baby's suddenly up at five 55, you're like, you're just going to ignore him. (laughs) You know, it doesn't really work. Or, you know, you're traveling for work and you've got a 6am flight. Like, again, if you're rigid about the time, it makes it hard to do. But if you say it's more of a morning checklist at some point in the first part of the day, I will do these things. Um, then I think that flexibility allows us to stick with it longer. Mm. What made you choose Shakespeare? Um, I've done a couple of reading projects now where I choose something big over the course of the year. Um, and so last year I read War and Peace uh, and it has mm-hmm. 361 chapters. So I read one chapter every single day uh, up till December 27th. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, you know, they were, they're short chapters. Again, it only took five to 10 minutes to read each chapter. There- about four pages. Um, Tolstoy just wrote a ton of really short chapters. Um, So I read read that book in the course of the year and I really enjoyed having a work seeing me through the year. And so this year I was like, well, what else could take that place? And so all the works of Shakespeare turned out to be another similar volume of stuff um, Mm. that I could get through in 365 days. Yeah. What have you gained from having that thing just with you throughout the year? Well, uh, you know, new appreciation of Shakespeare, I guess. Um, Although... It's funny because I, I've read the the really good ones, I guess, in yeah. the past, and and it was fun to revisit those, um, to read Hamlet and you know King Lear and Romeo and Juliet. But he wrote a lot of plays, and not all of them are as spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, I I have seen that he was a working artist. He mm-hmm. you know he put on he wrote a lot of masterpieces he also wrote some plays as like somebody said there needs to be a play this month and there was <laughs> so there you go um yeah. it's it's incredible to see it's it's um it, you know i i think it's cool to actually see more of how people work um than to just sort of assume it's all up on this you know pedestal yeah is anything else about shakespeare just standing out to you right now just as you're going through it throughout the year um well it's good to just be you know see all the lines in popular culture that you remember mm. come from somewhere in Shakespeare and yeah. uh, you know, like, Oh yeah. Out, out brief candle. That's Macbeth <laughs> or, mm-hmm. you know, all the world's a stage, uh, you know, with the, is the, I think that's as you like it, but you know, anyway, it's just, or even like that commercial for British airways a couple you know decades ago, this earth, this realm, this England, I was like, Oh, it's from John the <laughs> second turns out. <laughs> so I, I've enjoyed seeing all that. Yeah. Um, I want to go back and just ask, is there any other just piece of time management advice that um, that you just wish that you could change or just go like, no, that's not that's not true. Um, 
I think people spend a lot more time and effort being um, organized about their email than they probably need mm. to be. Uh, email will expand to fill all available space. So saying like, I'm going to get on top of email, like, no, you're not. You can respond to the emails that are in your inbox, but like people will just respond to those and then you've got more. So you'll never really truly be there. And, and given that we don't necessarily invite all the email that comes to us, processing all of it and being on top of it doesn't necessarily say that you're being effective. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not saying you shouldn't be accessible. I'm not saying you shouldn't be responsive to people who deserve that response. But I think, you know, telling email where it will fit in your life. And for many people checking just a couple times a day, as opposed to constantly would probably be a much better bet. Mm -hmm. What's your strategy for handling email? I do try to just check it a few times a day. And, and normally that's doable just because I get into other things. Like if mm -hmm. I'm talking on a podcast, I am clearly yeah. not checking my email <laughs> at the same time. If yeah. I am writing something that I'm excited about writing, I'm going to finish it before I go check email again. It's just, and, and that's sort of, I mean, there, there's generally two ways you can deal with things that you don't want to be spending as much time on doing. I mean, one is obviously giving them little blocks of time during your day when you will do them. Um, but being sure to fill your life with other stuff is also a good way to push it out. Because when you're deeply involved in projects that you're very excited about, like I mean, you're just going to naturally spend less time in your email. So right. you can you can try to come up with various hacks to be more efficient. But the ultimate efficiency hack is just to have so much else going on that you don't feel like spending all that time in your inbox. Mm, yeah. Well, I do want to ask you, I mean, again, we've talked about a lot of the ideas in Tranquility by Tuesday, um, but any time that someone, you know, creates a work of art, and I very much consider any any book is a work of art as well. I love hearing the story behind it. And so I would just love to hear from you of like, what got you interested in, in exploring some of the ideas behind Tranquility by Tuesday? Yeah, well, I mean, I write self-help for very busy people. And so if I am going to recommend something Ideally, I would like to know that it truly works. Um, I don't want to say, well, you know, maybe this is good. Sounds like a good idea. I don't know. Um, I would like to have some evidence that it is, in fact, helpful in people's lives. So for Tranquility by Tuesday, I chose nine of my favorite time management rules. I'd sort of honed these down over the years. I mean, I've, I've heard, you know, countless strategies that people use. I've given lots of people advice, but I noticed that a lot of the advice was going into certain buckets, um, the things that I was telling people to do, even though people's lives are very different, often the things I was telling them to do were very similar. Um, and so I kind of noticed what I was saying a lot and chose from that sort of nine rules that I think were broadly helpful to, to a great many people. And then, you know, to figure out, do they really work or not? I chose, I had 150 people um, learn about them. They participated in this study where I measured them on various dimensions at the beginning. Um, I had them learn a new time management rule each week. They would then answer questions about how they plan to implement it in their lives. And then a week later, we follow up with answering questions on how it went. You know, yeah. did they do it? Did they not? Did they face challenges? Did, were they the challenges they expected or new ones entirely? Um, and then kept measuring them on various dimensions through the nine weeks. And again, at the end, um, and I'm happy to say that people felt, you know, 16% better about their time overall. They felt 17% more satisfied with how they spent their time yesterday. Um, you know, in certain dimensions, the, the biggest jumps really were in, were in how happy people were with their, their leisure time, um, mm -hmm. which is 
cool because, you know, we may not have as much control over how we do things at, at work, for instance, or, you know, with our family responsibilities, there's certainly things we just have to do. Um, but that's the time that we have discretion over and that people felt they were doing better. People were 20% more satisfied with how they spent their leisure time yesterday. Um, and their agreement scores um, for, you know, agreement with the statement. Yesterday, I didn't waste time on things that don't didn't matter to me, rose 32% over the course of the nine weeks. Yeah. Can you talk about, I mean, and again, I know that a lot of the principles help this, but just maximizing the leisure time, because that's what everybody, everybody wants, because it's always like, oh my goodness, it's Sunday. You know, the work week is coming. What are some, what are some things that you've seen help maximize that leisure time? Well, one thing you can do um, is what we talked about, you know, checking email at certain times during the day. This, this is actually a good principle in general is to batch things that you don't wish to spend as much time on. So if there are, for instance, on the weekend, various chores you need to do, um, rather than having them always be an option, so you feel guilty if you're not doing them, um, you could say, okay, my chore window is 10 to 12 on Saturday morning. That's when I'm going to do chores. And you know, having a short window allows you to prioritize because if it didn't fit in that window, like maybe it wasn't that important, right? Like it's, you know. Mm -hmm maybe that window still did not need to be dusted or whatever it was, yeah. but you know, you fit it in the small window. And then if you find yourself thinking at some other point, like, you know, my floor is dirty. Well, you can tell yourself there's a time for dealing with that dirty floor. Now is not that time. So I can relax. I can have this as my guilt-free leisure time um, rather than thinking I should be doing something else. What surprised you the most just in your research and everything? Um, so, there were a couple rules that, um, you know, people found sort of harder to implement than others. Um, one of my rules is to take one night for you. Um, mm -hmm. I think especially when people are in the busy years of building a career, raising a family, they need to take some span of hours. I suggest a night, but it could be a couple hours on the weekend to do something that is not work and is not family. It is something that you personally enjoy. And ideally, you would make a commitment to this thing, right? So it's not just like, oh, I want to take a bubble bath. I want to take more bubble baths. Okay, well, your bathtub mm -hmm. isn't going anywhere, so you can do that at any point, which means that you have no reason to push back on anything else that might demand your time. You know, your kid wants you to drive her to the mall. Well, I was planning on taking a bubble bath, but could do it later, yeah. so I guess I could drive. Or, you know, your boss wants you to work late. You're like, well, I could do my bubble bath, whatever. So it's, it's not going to, you know, be a reason to not do other things. But if you make a commitment to something, you know, if you're playing in a string quartet, that means at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, if you are not there, then there are only three instruments and that is a problem, right? Like, so you're going to go, like, unless there is an incredibly good reason, you are going to be there at seven o'clock on Tuesday. And so that allows you to nudge yourself to go even when life is busy, even if you're tired. And if it's something that you find energizing, you will always feel better afterwards. Um, so I encourage people to do this. I got a ton of resistance to this yeah, idea. Yeah. Um, it was it was just, uh, you know, a, a lot of people like, well, I don't want to make commitments in my leisure time. I, I, I don't want more stuff in my life. Like we have this sort of minimalist parable that's out there that we need to cut back on everything. If you're too busy, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you need to you know scale back everything. And so people had that kind of going in their head. And it's like, well, first. I'm not talking about anything you're going to dread. Like, don't don't volunteer for something that you don't want to do. Like, the, the, yeah. no, this is something that, you know, you're feeling excited every time you think about it. But beyond that, um, it, it's, you know, the opposite of of burnout is engagement. Like, it's mm. it's not, 
the the cure for feeling like we don't want to do anything is to have things in life that are energizing things that we do truly want to do and so often that means you need to put something into your life rather than just take things out i mean there may be things that need to go i'm not saying yeah. not, but put something in that is energizing to you um and and you know people resisted like my my partner can't put the kids to bed i'm like really are you sure could you try like, let's see if he or she can prove their competence in the course of doing this. Or, you know, well, if I take the night off from work, like if we have a client emergency, like my colleagues can't handle it. Really? Like, why mm. do you work with terrible people? I don't know. That doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, um, so so it's just I, there's a lot of these stories we tell ourselves that often come down to either this this arrogance that no one can function without us or fear that like if yeah. people can function without me then like what what am i doing here what's the point of me if if people can function without me and i i get it but i would recommend pushing through that because if you do if you understand that other people can do things it can augment your life wonderfully and then you can do fun stuff like playing that string quartet mm. yeah and i even just think of like how much that helps us relationally too as well because like it like if someone needs you all the time like that that could be codependency <laughs> it, it can and and so one of the you know one one way to make this rule work i mean for many people yeah. who had young kids but were in a two-parent family it's just sort of a quid pro quo like yeah. tuesday is your night off thursday is my night off right like we yep. cover for each other like we both get to do our thing um we'll make it work um but but even if you don't have that situation there's lots of ways you can still get some time for yourself and particularly if people are in say like single parent situations having some time mm -hmm. that is just for you is is you know what makes life sustainable as opposed to you know feeling like this this total slog so um you know i it's hard it's challenging but the people who did it like they become evangelical about it. They're like, yeah. yes, no, everyone needs to join that string quartet or play in the softball league or, you know, go do the regular stint at the food bank or whatever it is that they, they decide they want to do. Mm, yeah. And I think it's that practice that just got me thinking about like sometimes time management requires like the other members of our community to help, to help with that. Can you talk about like that dynamic and anything that you've seen in that? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's certainly no reason that you can't avail yourself of other people. I mean, if you, mm -hmm live in any sort of community there are other people who might you know also want some time off like so yeah. you know you can swap kid coverage with a neighbor right like each of you you know this neighbor takes this saturday and you take the next saturday or something and and each of you gets some time off um you know one like healthy houses of worship will often have programming for children mm -hmm. um and that's something that you can use then as a time that you could go do something else i've seen you know parents enroll at a, a tennis lesson at the same time that their kid is in a tennis lesson. And so they both get to do the things. I mean, we spend all sorts of time, you know, schlepping our kids to all kinds of activities. Like if you can do something that you want to do during the same time, it's, it's really like a bonus. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's, there's always a way to make it work. Mm, yeah. What is the practice that you wrote about in this book that personally helps you the most? Well, we talked about the planning earlier, which is probably practically the thing I like most. I think mm -hmm. probably my my favorite rule, if I had to choose a favorite rule, yeah. though, and one that I find is um, is transformative for many people, is to have one big adventure and one little adventure every week. Yeah. Um, because, you know, much of adulthood can become very similar over the time. Every day is, you know, you get up, do the same thing, work, bring everybody home, eat dinner, 
do the bath and bedtime routine, watch TV, go to bed, and then get up and do it all over again. And there's nothing wrong with routines. Like routines are great because they make good choices automatic. But when everything is the same, it can start to feel a bit like a slog. So it, we want to just spice things up a little bit, just just a little bit. And so I would yeah. find the right balance, having one big adventure and one little adventure each week, just two things that are memorable, out of the ordinary. And by adventure, like a big adventure would be just something that takes three to four hours. So think half a weekend day. Um, a little adventure could be an hour or less. So you could do it on a lunch break, weekday evening, but just something that is different. Um, and so my subjects in this book were coming up with all sorts of things. I mean, you know, somebody, it was like a week in April when they were learning this week and did it. So like somebody planned an elaborate April Fool's joke. Um, somebody read the part of the narrator in their you know, church's passion service. So they were putting on a performance in front of a lot of people. So that was different and memorable. Um, you know, people would go to the local ice cream place on the first day it opened for summer. Um, you know, somebody went on a run on a, they were on a business trip and they went for a run along the waterfront in this city as uh, just something new to do. But all of these things just make life a little bit more memorable. They slow time down um, because we start noticing things like we, we are making memories. That wasn't just the week that was like any other week. It's like, no, no that's the week we went mini golfing, right? Like that's yeah. when we did something different. And, um, you know, it, it, it starts to change our perception of ourselves too. As somebody was saying, it's like, I am the kind of person who does fun stuff. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not just, you know, boring doing work at home and going to bed. I, I, I do fun things. Like yeah. I have something to say on Monday morning, people, how was your weekend? Yeah. <laughs> got, let me tell you, I can tell you yeah. something that's not just going to be like a total snooze fest. So uh, I enjoyed that people were changing their perception of, of how they saw, you know, their own lives. Yeah. And, and talk to me about that, because, you know, I think it is it can be the tendency to we work, we go home, we spend time with our families and that kind of visit. And we can kind of ad maybe adapt or adopt that identity of I don't know how to have fun. Like, I don't know what to do. And so for the person who just finds themselves in that situation, they're like, I don't know what to do. I want I want to have fun. I don't know if I can have fun because I don't know how to have fun. Yeah. Well, start making lists. Like yeah. anything you think might be fun, um, you know, start asking people like, what do you do for fun? Uh, what what are the institutions that are within two hours of your house? Right. Start getting I mean, nobody wants more email, but like get on their mailing lists. Right. Because they'll start telling you about like, oh, well, there's this festival we're having that's going to have bands and free ice cream. Like, well, that would be an adventure. Right. Um, or like a local farm, for instance, might have. I don't know, whatever is going on, hay rides like you might want to do as an adventure or, you know, there's just all sorts of activities going on. So, you know, make a list of these institutions, get on their email list, start seeing stuff. If something looks like it might be interesting, put it on your calendar or better yet, put it on, put it as a note for yourself on the Friday planning for the <laughs> week before that's happening. See, then you can decide, yeah. is that something I truly want to do as my adventure in the course of the week? But as you start having this as a goal, like to have two adventures a week, you start finding them, right? Because you're on the lookout for them. I mean, often people aren't because they just assume, well, I'm not the kind of person who does stuff, right? Like, so I'm not looking for anything. But when you are looking for small adventures, then you're like, oh, wait, there's a new used bookstore that opened up half a mile from my office. I'm going to go there on a lunch break and have that be my little mini adventure for the week. 
Um, and, and you just start doing these different things. Mm, yeah. A couple of the rules that I want to ask you about is one is move by 3 PM. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, I mean, everyone knows we're supposed to exercise and many people do it for entirely wrong reasons. Like, I don't think, you know, exercise is not going to make any of us into swimsuit models. If you aren't one already, like, you know, which is great. Go for you. Yeah. Good for you. But most, most of us, that's not the case. What it does for us is just completely changes our energy. Um, it is one of the most reliable ways to reset your energy level um, that that exists. Uh, you know, people will start pounding cups of coffee. It You'd be better off getting outside and doing a brisk walk for 10, 15 mm. minutes and coming back in. It will do the exact same thing as the coffee, but there's no bad effects from yeah. it whatsoever. Um, so, I mean, and there's various research into just how much energy can can boost your energy. I mean, exercise can boost your energy levels and it doesn't take much. It's just a couple minutes can really do it. So move by 3 p.m. is to move for 10 minutes in the first half of every single day. And, you know, I mean, we're supposed to be moving all the time anyway. Uh, but even on a busy work day, this will nudge you to take at least one break. And when people start doing this, there's a couple of good things that happen. I mean, one, they get more activity. Like they start boosting their energy levels for the second half of the day. Like if you hit a slump in mid-afternoon, you go for a walk, you can actually work for the rest of the day. You get that productivity back and that's great. But it also just encourages this strategic mindset with your schedule. Like you start looking over your day and saying, well, hmm, where could I fit this walk in? And when you're asking that question, then you're then you're taking charge of where everything is and saying, I can put things in there. And that that mindset is just transformative. Mm. Yeah. And it, I've, I've taken advantage of it, of like, I, I know that for me, like right around, like right after lunch, usually around like 2, 2.30 PM, I just find myself getting tired. And so I just start taking walks during that. It's just what you said. Like the energy is boosted. I'm good to go for the rest of the day. It feels like. It's so true. And, and it's so much, you know, just a better habit than coffee, than, you know, smoking, than sugar, all these other things that people do to boost their energy levels. Like this is, this is one with zero downsides. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, um, yeah, this was one of the rules that when people did it, they were just like, had a good week. Like who knew? <laughs> <laughs> it was a busy yeah. week and I felt able to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, is, is there anything else that you've learned that helps boost energy? Like I imagine, again, back to sleep, sleep helps with that, you know, the exercise, the movement, anything else that helps with boosting energy? Well, just, I mean, yeah, sleep and exercise do sort of holistically. <coughs> Excuse me. Yep. Sorry. <clears throat> but just generally putting things into your life that are exciting like we draw energy from meaningful things. Mm -hmm. So if you are spending more time on work that matters to you, more time on leisure activities that are exciting as opposed to just scrolling around online, like this, all of these will, will add to your energy levels. Yeah. Uh, the other uh, rule that I want to ask you about is create a backup slot as well, which was really a big game changer for me. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, people make space for priorities in life and they're feeling very proud of themselves. They're like, yes, I'm going to do this. And then something happens, you know, life intervenes, some emergency comes up, they can't do whatever the priority is. And, and this just feels so frustrating and so defeating. And I get that because it is very frustrating, but it doesn't have to be defeating. I think if anything is important to you, you need the equivalent of a rain date. So like mm -hmm. if you get invited to a big picnic on, let's say, 
a June Saturday. Sometimes the organizers will say rain date Sunday. And the idea is that if it rains, which is a predictable occurrence outside, like these things happen, you know, things go predictably wrong outside. It's right there in the rain date name. There's no question of whether the event will be rescheduled and when it will be on the rain date. And so, you know, if, if it matters to you to go to that thing, you know, not to schedule anything else that's important during that time that couldn't be moved in the backup slot. And we need rain dates for lots of stuff in life. Like if there's a meeting you truly want to have with an employee and, you know, it's going to get bumped because it's not urgent, set a backup slot. You know, say if if it gets rescheduled from Tuesday at 10 a.m., we're going to do it Friday at 10 a.m. If you have a special time set with, say, one of your kids and, you know, you're worried something might happen. Somebody might get sick. There might be rain. You're going to the amusement park. Again, set a backup slot. Find another slot. If it doesn't happen this day, I know we will do it then. And this just, you know, it helps manage our relationships because people know that you will still make time for them. Like this thing will still happen, um, even if it can't on the original date. Um, and, and, and so it allows us to keep moving forward on our goals. And I realized that it can get unwieldy to create backup slots for everything, like specific backup slots for everything. Yeah. So it's so sort of a shortcut to this is to create more open space in your life generally. So one thing a lot of my uh, participants started doing is not scheduling anything on Friday. So leave Friday as open as possible. Right. Yeah. And that it, it's not going to stay open. Like, like you're not leaving early for the weekend, but what's going to happen is that something will come up during the week and you'll need a spot to put it. Where do you put it? Well, Hey, Friday, I can put it there. If, if Friday is open, um, you can also, if some priority of yours gets bumped from earlier in the week, because there's some emergency happens, it can get rescheduled for Friday. And then you don't have to borrow time from the next week, which is no doubt going to have crises of its own. Um, so if you can't leave all Friday open, maybe it's two afternoons a week that you try to leave open. Maybe it's an hour or two of open space per day if that you're in the sort of job where that makes more sense. But some open space allows you to have a time for whatever comes up. Because I always say, you know, anyone can create a perfect schedule. True time management masters create a resilient schedule. And it's that open space that allows you to have that resilience. Hmm. Well, I got one other thing I want to ask you about, but before that, is there anything that we haven't covered or that is just top of mind that you want to make sure that we talk about? Well, I think we've gotten through through most of them. Those yeah. Are, yeah <laughs> most of the rules there. Yeah. 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 Okay. The the last thing that I want to ask you about is, um, you know, some, especially like the last two and a half years with COVID and just, and then it's like the, the global stuff that has happened. And then even just the personal stuff that has happened. Sometimes we're in seasons to where life just demands like a lot of us and we could feel like okay we we are we are handling things the best that we can and yet we're still tired <laughs> and like we're trying to get enough sleep we're trying to do all of that how do you handle situations to where life is just demanding like so much of you what have you learned about how to like excel on that is it just doubling down on everything that we've talked about or what yeah i mean i really do think that it's during the busiest times when it feel life feels most overwhelming that these habits are really helpful. I mean, I'm always, you know, if if I've got stuff totally stacked up, taking a 10 minute walk break seems just like hopelessly indulgent, but that's Mm -hmm. where I like get the idea that solves whatever problem is about to happen at 3 PM. Right. You know, like that's it, it, it's really, you know, nothing is going to be gained in this overwhelming world by not sleeping. So that's a, you know, that's really a habit to double down on too. Um, As for planning, people sometimes are like, well, you know, I'm scared to see everything. It's going to feel overwhelming when I see everything that I have to have, you know, do, and I'm writing it all down. It's like, well, 
that stuff's going to be there, whether you acknowledge yeah. it's there or not. Like, but at least if you know what it is, you're not like, you're not swimming in the dark. Like you're not in a cave. Like you can actually see the water that you're navigating down is just a, a different, you know, experience entirely. I mean, there might be a lot going on, but at least you know what it is, um, which, which is, you know, feels more in control than, than not knowing what it is. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, but one thing I want to caution people about, yeah. I mean, busy people often repeat this phrase to themselves and like, well, well, next week when things are less busy, then I'll be able to do this. So, you know, well, after school starts or well, after the holidays, then I'll be able to, it's like, no, no, there's always something like no one's going to have the perfect life. Like life is not going to be less busy next week or probably next year. Like you need to figure out ways to make your life sustainable now. Like there's no time that it's going to be like magically less busy, less crazy or anything else. So rather than holding on to the idea that you'll do things, then find a way to make it happen in your life now. Like it may not be perfect. It may not be as much as you want, but not as much as I want is a very different story from none. And not as much as I want is a good place to start from. Cause then you can start figuring out how to scale stuff up over time. Yeah. Well, Laura, I know that people are going to want to pick up your book tranquility by Tuesday and keep up with you. Where's the best place for people to go to do all those things? Yeah. Well, you can find me at lauravandercam.com um, where you can learn about tranquility by Tuesday and my other books. Um, if you enjoy podcasts as you're listening to this one, um, you might want to check out before breakfast, which is a short every weekday morning uh, tip that will help you take your day from great to awesome. Um, so you can listen to me doing that. Awesome. Well, Laura, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And thanks for just doing the work and for sharing it with us. Thanks so much for having me. So coming out of that conversation, there's a couple of things that got me thinking about it. One is the wind down and the, I guess, the get up routine. And thinking through that, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about in terms of, uh, of the get up routine is um, trying to start each morning with a shower just in order to to wake me up as well and just to get my my brain cells firing and everything and also adding some some meditation some peacefulness to to get the day going with some silence or just some thinking through what the day is going to going to be and what it's going to hold and what i use for my meditation and uh, in reflection is the the pause app and i'll link to that in the show notes i highly recommend it and as it pertains to the wind down routine, one of the things that I'm trying to get better at is putting my phone down in a way I love what Laura said in terms of the reading. And most of the reading that I try to do at night is more fiction based in, I like reading just the physical books that I guess that you could call it like the analog copy of it and just thinking about it in that. So that's that's one of the the things that I'm thinking about. The other thing is what she mentioned with burnout, and how the the antidote or the solution to burnout is engagement, and how do we reactivate ourselves? How do we reengage ourselves? And so many times it's through 
you know, giving ourselves to things that we're looking forward to, the life-giving activities. You know, recently I was listening to the Carrie Not Cure <laughs> Easy for me to say, the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast in a conversation that he had with John Eldridge. And John was talking about how our reserves have been drained over the past, you know, two and a half years from the pandemic and just from everything. And it's just been exhausting and constant changing back and forth and back and forth. And he mentioned how in order to refill those reserves, you have to have a lot more coming in than going out, that you need to be replenished a lot more than you are, are giving out, than, than you are pouring out yourself. And I think that just also holds true with this, as we were talking about with burnout, is that you need more refreshing you. You need more coming in. You need your, your, your tank or your well filled instead of having it drained or constantly giving away to help other people. And again, neither one of those things are helping other people is not necessarily bad, but whenever it comes at the cost of, of your own health of, or the cost of the people who matter most to you, that's whenever it become, can become a problem. So those are just a couple of things that this conversation got me thinking about. If you want to continue to learn from me and some of the things that are happening with me, some of the things I'm thinking about, some of the things I'm learning from, please subscribe to the newsletter for the learner's corner. And that will be in the show notes as well. You can just type in your email address right there. And every time uh, that I get that I send out a newsletter, which will be about once a week, you will get that newsletter of some of the best things that I am learning from, whether that be podcasts or YouTube videos, books, or whatever I'm just thinking about and learning about right now. Now, I think that is all that I have for today. So I do want to say a thank you to Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast. Thank you to Laura Vanderkam for being on the podcast again as well. If you enjoyed this conversation, check out our previous conversation with her. And I think that's all that I have for today. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.